Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name's Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching, and before we kick off today's episode, I'd like to give a little shout out to Chris D, who logged on through the Podbean app and left a review on episode 11. Episode 11 featured a conversation I had with my friend Richard Gerver. Richard's a former teacher who now works around the world with organizations to help them navigate change. Chris says, this was a fantastic episode. So many things can be learned from the discussions here. Top draw as ever. If, like Chris, you enjoy our episodes, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen, whether it's on Apple or through the Podbean app. Leaving reviews and rating the podcast really helps get the word out there and gets it into the ears of people who, up until this point, have never heard of us. Now, my guest today is no stranger to the Habits of Leadership podcast. He was recently in Australia and I was able to track him down to the Airbnb in which he was staying with my podcasting equipment in hand. Well, here we are in uh, beautiful Bondi Beach on a glorious day, and I'm joined um, by any any listener to this show would know that um, I'm a huge fan of our guest today. I'm joined by Mr. Michael Bungay-Stanya. Thank you so much for, uh, for well, not... For, for allowing me into your Airbnb to, yeah. to record this. It's great. And I'm, I'm wearing just a pair of Speedos, a pair of budgie <laughs> smugglers, just in, in celebration of being in one. That's not true. I am, I'm, I am <laughs> fully clothed. I am mostly clothed, yeah. Mostly exactly. clothed. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't a dress code for this. We should have we <laughs> we we been more formal. Yeah. Exactly. So, Thank, everyone is grateful that this is not on YouTube and it's just, <laughs> it's just audio. Absolutely. Um, so... You are in Australia for another few weeks. You've been yeah. in Australia for a few weeks. Can you just mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what you're doing in and around the place with the different organizations that you're working with? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm primar- primarily back to be with my family. So I'm Australian originally. Um, I left Australia 30 years ago now, which is <laughs> which makes me sound old because I am old. God damn it, what happened? Um, and uh, so th- one of the big things that happened for me in the last year is my dad died. Mm. He died nine months ago. And uh, it's because of COVID, we've only just been able to have the memorial to celebrate his life. So mm. I was primarily coming back to be part of the memorial with my dad and... Um, check in with my mum and see how she's doing. But it also means that I've had a chance to do some work with other people here. Mm. So I've given a couple of speeches. Um, I'm going to run sessions with some of the coaching chapters in Canberra and uh, Melbourne and Sydney and Auckland as well. Um, yeah, so it's like a, it's a grab bag. Primarily, though, I'm meant to be here to write books. Right. That's going not well at all. <laughs> Dis- despite your uh, – I-, I just listened to How to Begin uh, on audiobook, and right. I think you made a, a proclamation you're going to write five books this year. <laughs> three. Three. I, I, okay, sorry. Five, five is – like five is – three is excessive. Five is ridiculously excessive. Yeah, so uh, so far I've got about 100 words of one book written, which okay. is not a good start. It's a start. We're, we're recording this in yeah. early May, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to shimmy a bit to get this going. But it's a fairly long flight back to Canada. Maybe exactly. you could punch out a few. I just bang out a book on my on the flight back. Absolutely. You know, the, I'm, I'm trying to write short books. I always try and write short books. My, my design principle is what's the shortest book I can write that's most useful? Because mm. I find most books to be overly long. Mm. And slightly intimidating and too heavy. And I'm like, if 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 you're a writer, 
your goal is to get somebody to pick up the book and go, this isn't too scary, mm-hmm. and then get them to the end of the book. And that's hard. And I think one of the disciplines is like, how, do you, how do you have the discipline to keep boiling it down and reducing it and, and cutting stuff away so that you can create the book that you, you most love? Yeah. And um, obviously we're going to get to um, your latest book mm-hmm. shortly, but before we do that, what I was curious to to hear from you is have you seen a difference or is there a difference or some nuance in the kind of work or challenges questions you're being asked to explore with groups post and I'm loath to say post pandemic because I'm well aware we're still well and truly in it but but let's say prior to 2020 yeah are you having different conversations with people I think it is true that everybody's going this is hard, mm. <laughs> this is messy and hard and our frailties as human beings are just more apparent. And by that I don't mean we're revealing us all to be kind of broken or weaker than we thought we were. I think at, at an organisational level people are like, we have to meet people during this hard time, so how do we create an organisation that has... Um, a new, a, a new nuance to our thinking what people-centered means mm. to our organization. Because, mm. you know, there's this perpetual tension in organizational life between we're trying to have impact in the way that our organization has impact, so make money if you're a private company and deliver goods and services or if you're a nonprofit, just deliver the services that you're, you're known for. And... That is mostly an inhuman thing because you're like, we need systems, we need structures, we need people to do their stuff so the stuff gets out the door. And then the fact that you just got people, you know, normal, messy, complicated, brilliant, broken, not broken people trying to figure this stuff out. So, you know, there's been, there's been stuff written recently that I've been looking at going, it's just harder than ever to manage and lead people. You have to have this all-encompassing, you know, you have to be supportive and also get stuff done. You have to be generous but also kind of create accountability. You have to meet them where they are but also encourage them to be somewhere else at the same time. It's it's really hard. Mm. So I think this idea of, you know, coaching, which is one of the things that I'm probably known for, part of the power of that is it is a – a human way of talking with each other, whereas the more kind of obvious contrast to that command and control sort of thing is more like it's just an object. Let me tell you what you need to do. Coaching is a way that allows more of that humanity into the conversation. Yeah. So let me throw something at you that I've been hypothesizing around literally just only in the last couple of weeks. And I've yeah. thrown it out at a keynote talk and sort of tried to gauge how it landed. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I threw it in with a smaller group and there was a couple of, eh, you know, I'm not fully sold on this. And I'm yeah. going, well, I'm not putting that as a, as a truth, but do you reckon you can only lead people as well as you know them? I, well, I think it depends what scale you're talking about. Mm. So I, you know, I'm now of the age where the guys I went to high school with, some of them are now CEOs of companies. <laughs> so yeah. I spoke to one guy, um, Andrew Yates. He's now the CEO of KPMG in here in Australia. So a, an organization of 10,000 people. Yeah. I, I had dinner with another friend, Dig Howard. He's the CEO of Cochlea. So this billion dollar company around uh, yeah. hearing implants. And they are leading, they are leading people in the tens of thousands. And obviously they don't know all of those people. Mm. 
So I think there's a there's a degree at which scale has to happen. Yep. But I also think there's a way that um, you lead the people immediately around you. And the more sense you have of their full humanity, which also requires you to have a sense of your full humanity. Mm, yeah. So it's kind of like, call it emotional intelligence if you like. Mm. It's like the more that of that there's going on, the more likelihood that there's a, um, a human-centered approach to leadership. Equally, it's not just about knowing the other people. Yeah. <laughs> You've also got to be brave, strategic, have hard conversations, make big decisions, take risks, yep. play it safe, all of that sort of stuff. So it's not the whole the whole ball of wax. Yep. So I think I think part of the part of the the slipperiness of your question, can you can you lead only as well as you know somebody, is that leadership happens at different scales. Mm. It happens one to one, it happens in a small team, it happens in a business unit, it happens at an organizational level. And you, you know, coaching um, usually is on a one-to-one level. How how much is coaching about empathy and getting to know other people rather than trying to r- rush to a solution? Because mm. in, in the work we do, we often find there's a bit of a confusion around, oh, you know, I need to be coached here. And yeah. what they're saying is, tell me the answer, show me what to do. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and yeah, I've just written something around, you know, some indicators that people aren't ready to coach. And it's, yeah. I don't know how often you get this, Michael, but it's like, um, you know, we need something we can do straight away. You know, right. so it's great. We want to have this philosophical debate, but if people aren't walking out of here with something they can do tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and whilst I appreciate when people are engaging people to give a talk or run a workshop, I, I get that. But mm-hmm. I also think that's a little bit of a red flag for me sometimes yeah um when i hear we want something we can do straight away yeah i know we all we all would love <laughs> something we can do straight away it's like uh, you know i'm not impatient but i need it now in fact <laughs> i needed it yesterday so i think there's a a slight false dichotomy you're setting up in the question which is like um do you need to be empathetic to coach somebody I think empathy is a, a really powerful leadership tool. And this sense, and it's part of this kind of human centeredness, which is like part of human centeredness is a sense of empathy, which is like I, I've got a, a sense of what you might be going through and I can feel it. I don't think you need empathy to coach. And I say that because I, I, when I run keynotes or workshops, I effectively coach a thousand people in the room. Mm. Because I, I trust the structure and I trust the process. And I think one of the futures of coaching is an AI-enabled approach to coaching. So it looks it sounds something like this. You come, you come home or you're in your office and you go, hey, Siri, can you coach me? I need some coaching. And Siri goes, sure, Michael. Um, we, 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 coached, we coached four days ago. What's on your mind today? And I'll go, well... Here's the thing, I'm I'm trying to write a book and I'm make I've made I've only written a hundred pages words so far and it's already May and I'm slightly freaking out because I'm meant to have a first draft of my book written by the end of May so that is literally in 27 days from now and I'm like it's a disaster and Siri will go great so what's the real challenge here for you Michael and I'll go yeah you know well partly it's I've 
I came home to, to be with my mum and she's struggling, so I'm finding that. I'm just finding it hard to create the time around that. Secondly, I'm not sure there's any there there in the book and I keep trying to sketch out ideas around it. And then the blah, 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 blah. And she goes, right, okay, what else, Michael? And I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, this is the other thing. And she goes, great, anything else? I'm like, well, there's, there's one other thing that's annoying me at the moment. And she goes, great. So, and you can see how she actually, not even really informed by deep learning and AI, is following a structure mm. that um, is helpful for me. Mm. And when it's then informed by... Oh, you you know, you talked about this a month ago. This is interesting. What's different from a month ago? What what's being created is uh, the space, and exter- somebody kind of externally holding the space for me to figure some stuff out. Because mm. coaching is often a let me give you the space and capacity just to think some stuff through. Mm without it being charged by an agenda or an advice or let's get a solution. I'm like, let me just help you think this through. Mm. And, and you know, Siri has no empathy for me. <laughs> when I'm coaching people, I'm like, I don't even know what you're working on. I know that the questions I'm setting you up to work with will work mm. and will take you somewhere. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, you can be kind of heartless about it, yeah. but if you've got the willingness to say, but I'm committed to holding space for you and helping yeah. you maintain ownership and figure the stuff out for yourself, you can you can do some great coaching. Which is, uh, you know, a bit like your book. I mean, at least in the keynote, you can see some sort of facial expressions to see if it's landing. You can yeah. see if people are having conversations, but your book... Um, particularly the, the your most recent one, How to Begin. I mean, I I received that as a coaching approach, you know, right. and, and obviously you've put it out there. You've got no idea what I'm yelling at you for asking me for, you know, <laughs> exactly. or, or, or nodding along with, yeah, you yeah. know, you've got no idea. And yet right. there's the process, which has obviously been very deliberately put out there. Right. Um, so, I mean, is it AI, you know, whether it's AI, but presumably, you know, people can coach themselves by using such a format if they understand they can. it. The, the challenge with coaching yourself is everybody's really slippery with themselves. They're like, oh, that's a hard question. Maybe I'll just think about something else <laughs> instead. Oh, is it time for a cup of tea? Yeah, it's like, oh, look, I've got distracted by looking out the window. And um, there's something just very powerful about having an external person asking you the question and you saying the thing out loud. Because yeah. part of the challenge around coaching yourself is you kind of you half ask a question and then you half answer it in your own head and it doesn't quite land. Mm. It's more powerful if you're journaling. That's one of the reasons why morning pages and the like can be really helpful. You're like, okay, I'm going to write a question. Michael, what's the real challenge here for you around writing this book? Write two pages on that. Oh, okay. Mm. But if you have the discipline, that, that can be helpful. So uh, power of externalization, I think, can be really powerful. I'm going to say one thing just more about empathy. The reason I, the reason I kind of respond to that in that way is I, I, want, to, I want to unweird coaching for people and I want to, to de-HR slash touchy-feely coach it mm. because there's a whole bunch of people who go, look, I am wired in a way that I just – I'm not that interested in people and I don't have that much inbuilt empathy. And if coaching is just for the woo-woo, touchy-feely crowd, coaching is not for me. Mm. 
But if I go, look, coaching is a process and it's a way of a commitment to helping grow the other person but also get clear on the stuff that matters most. And you don't have to be woo-woo to do this. You just have to have the discipline to ask a question and then shut up and give it the space to be answered. Mm. Then I can have – an Pardon for the kind of the stereotyping here, but I can have accountants and engineers and scientists and and pe- and people who might otherwise go uh, this people stuff. I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. Go okay, I can try that out. That has just set a light bulb off in my my head because I've been thinking also recently around it's it's almost so commonplace that we just don't even think about it, but we, we privilege the idea of emotional intelligence as being such a, a foundational leadership skill. Yeah. What's the, what's the um, risks in doing that? Because I think this is what I've been thinking about is, well, what does that say to all our neurodiverse colleagues right. who perhaps, you know, yeah. aren't as woo-woo perhaps, yeah, you no, know, no, to, no, use, to use that phrase. Yeah. What, what's your thinking around that? Look, emotional intelligence is like everyone nods their head and I'm like, what do you mean by emotional intelligence? <laughs> I tell you what I th- how I think about emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is an ability to see yourself in a situation and get outside yourself and decide that the way you're behaving is working or not working. And you know, do you want to change it or do you want to continue on? So... I pride myself having it being fairly emotionally intelligent. It's probably something that an emotionally intelligent person would never actually say. So I'm very <laughs> contradictory myself. But you know, I spend a bunch of time. Uh, it's a kind of constant presence, really, when I'm with a crowd or with a podcast, like with you. I'm kind of watching myself, going, "How's this going? Is this how you want to show up? Are you are you being and doing the way you'd like to be to do it that feels true and on point with the person you're striving to be and is it helping the situation and is it moving things forward? Um, so I think there is something powerful about going, the more you can develop that skill. Um, but I suspect there's also a, a spectrum, like some people are going to be brilliant at it and have an amazing level of that and some people not so much, whether that's because of neurodiversity or whatever other reason. So it's like do the best you can with that. But coaching doesn't require emotional intelligence, perhaps. Maybe it does. I mean, it does It does require some, but it's more of a commitment to a system and a structure mm. and a process, which is like, look, you just trust trust some of these questions. Mm. Ask them, be quiet and listen to the answer. Mm. Yeah. I'm starting to yeah. Yeah, ponder this idea. I, I guess if I'm being honest, you know, is, is this some form of discrimination in our in our thinking, in our in our organizations? I mean, I know I'm really stretching it here, but... Well, I mean, I think saying it's good to be emotionally intelligent is also in along the lines of it's good to be able to think strategically mm. and it's good to be able to think creatively. And I just think those are those are true, mm. that, that the more capacity you have for that, the more opportunities that can open up for you. Mm. But, um, you know, you've got a fancy little road preamp with little... You know, sliders that go up and down um, as in the setup for this little podcast. Um, uh, you know, we've all, got, we've all got sliders. We've all got a mix, our own mixing board mm. where we've got different things that are up and different things that are down. Like I'm, I'm, I'm up on curiosity. I'm down on 
organization and structure. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I've got a, a, a mix. So I'm like, how do I optimize my mix and how do I find the best circumstances and the best people around me for the mix that I am? Mm. All right. I wanted to, um, as I said, I think when I first contacted you, I said, let's talk about your book. We haven't yeah. spoken about your book yet. So <laughs> I thought maybe I, I'm thinking, um, you know, a lot of people, um, whatever stage of the pandemic they're thinking that they're at, um, in America, we're hearing a lot about the Great Resignation. Yep. Um, I'm not sure how it is in Canada, but I saw yeah, the I, same. The same, yeah. And in Australia, there's certainly um, people in different um, areas who are certainly, as a result of the last couple of years, really starting to rethink how they want to live <laughs> their life. What am I doing? Yeah, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. you know, driving to work right now, listening to this podcast, going, right. "Why am I doing this?" <laughs> and and um, the book, obviously, you know, how to begin gives us a nice way of thinking okay well let's have a look at you know what you are doing and and is there something else you would like to do yeah when i talk to people about what they would like to do and and do they have any goals and some are like no i'm too busy for goals i'm just trying to get through to the end of the (laughs) week or the goals that they've set are just they're just someone else's goals yeah you know they're trying to live someone else Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah one of the obviously right you know maybe maybe take us back what why did you see the need Actually, yeah. Why did you see the need to write the book, How to Begin? Yeah. And then I'd love to, I I, I love your way of thinking around goals. Yeah, so I'd thank love, you. yeah, if we just, um, yeah, why, why the need? Uh, the truth is, I didn't really start off thinking I was writing that book. So the book I'm known for is The Coaching Habit, and it sold a, a bunch. And I followed up with that book. A bunch. The, <laughs> the biggest selling coaching book in the last decade or yeah. two, perhaps. It's yeah, a bunch. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think I can say it's the biggest yeah. selling book on coaching yeah. of the millennia oh, so far. Be. So there I'm, I'm going to just take that as like extreme hyperbole. <laughs> also another sign that I'm not as emotionally intelligent as, as you might hope. But um, I followed that with The Advice Trap. And that was a deeper dive into why is it so hard to stay curious a little bit longer? Because the coaching habit says, look, being more coach-like is can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? And some people found the questions and the tools in that book, the thing that made them do that. Some people went, I hate coaching and I hate you, Michael. You're an idiot. So they're not my target audience. And there's a bunch of people in the middle who are like, I like what you're saying and I find it very hard to shift my behavior. So the advice trap was an attempt to go deeper into this idea of behavior change. And that's where we introduced the idea of how do you tame your advice monster? The advice monster being um, a metaphor and a symbol for the old habits that keep dragging you back to giving advice. And I wrote that and I'm like, I still haven't cracked writing about behavior change in a way that I really want to. I'm trying to find a way to make it feel really accessible and and doable for people. So I thought I'd try and write another book about this, what does it take to change? So I I wrote like 90 pages and um, kind of sketched out my idea for it and I sent the book out to a bunch of people. And my friend Misha wrote back almost immediately and went, look, I've read 60 pages of this book so far. I have no idea what it's about. (laughs) It's not very good, is it? I'm like... Uh, you know, that's true. <laughs> I'm trying to, it's like, I'm, I'm doing, I'm breaking all the rules I set for myself and trying to write a good book. So I, I, I basically picked through the rubble of this book and there was, I thought one phrase 
that I thought was worth rescuing and, and we unlock our greatness by working on the hard things. Mm. And that just had a resonance with me because I was like, I am really committed to trying to unlock people's greatness, you know, help people expand and then fulfill their potential, be the best versions of themselves because I think the world wins if we've got people being the best version of themselves. And I think there is a truth to it's 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 when you're in that place of on the edge of who you are in a sense of competence and confidence and and you know identity that you get to kind of open up that next thing. So how do you f- help people find the hard thing for them? And that's when I suddenly went, oh, I think this is turning into a book about goal setting. And then I was like, oh, I'm not even sure. Like I don't, I'm not that, I'm not that keen on goals and and i realized that i and i, I had this moment of realizing that i'd basically be nodding along for 30 years to this whole idea of smart goals and mm. like, hey, smart goals it's a good acronym it's smart mm. um and i was like i don't even think i like smart goals and i don't use smart goals i never sit there and i go okay let me make a smart goal for myself and i realized that one of my allergies to smart goals was that it's all about reduction mm. and tidying up and confirming and tweaking. And if you don't have the right goal in the first place, making it a smart goal just means you're polishing a turd. Mm. You're like, what's the point? Yep. <laughs> you're like, I've got this very specific thing that I don't really want to do. <laughs> don't uh, really want to do. Yeah. Absolutely don't yeah, want exactly. to do. <laughs> and then other language around goals, you know, the other language people know are often BHAGs, Big Hairy Audacious Goals, mm. which is Jim Collins. And that's not, I mean, it's a really ugly word, mm. EHAG, but it's, it, it tends to resonate mostly at an organizational level. Like what's the BHAG for our team or our business unit or our organization? You don't hear many people going, this is my BHAG. <laughs> Again, terrible word, yeah. but, but interesting concept. And then OKRs is a, a, yeah. the next big thing, particularly Silicon Valley, which I've seen people's OKR sheets and there's a complicated dashboards and greens and yellows and reds and stuff. And it feels, again, a metric-driven, yep. measurement-driven thing. And I'm like, how do you make sure you're working on the, on the right big things? Mm. And so that's where this whole idea of the worthy goal comes from. Mm. How do you find something that is thrilling? It lights you up. You care about it. You're like, yeah, I am up for this. Mm. Important. So that it's not just about you and your self-fulfillment, but it's actually contributing to a better world. How do you give more to the world than you take, to quote Jacqueline Novogratz? And then daunting, which is like, how do you make sure that it continues to be on your learning edge, that you continue to grow and evolve as a human being? Mm. And if, you, if you're missing one of those legs, you have a, a not great combination. It just doesn't have all that you need. But if you can maximize what thrilling and important and daunting looks like for you around a particular topic, you've probably got something interesting to work on. Mm. So sometimes I've noticed when organizations are you know, helping or, or, or facilitating structuring uh, employees' goal setting, Daunting's not really appealing to me if it's tied to my um, right. <laughs> my career path. Daunting is scary. Why, why don't we just do something which I know I'm going to be able <laughs> right, to do if I just exactly. put in a bit of work on the weekend? Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how um, organizations can help people um, set goals which are daunting and do it in an authentic way so we're not trying to catch them out. I, I, it is just not easy to do that. 
because everybody, it, it's a rare organization that says we love struggle and we love failure <laughs> and we love uncertainty. You know, uh, you know that's why books like uh, Christensen's, you know, The Innovator's Dilemma is successful or Blue Ocean Strategy is successful because they point to stories like these are people who went, we're breaking away. Mm. So... You know, when I was talking to to Dig, the CEO of Cochlear, and, and I don't think this is talking out of school, he's like, it's an ongoing challenge for me as a CEO to increase the capacity for risk mm. in my organization. Because even if you have somebody like Dig say, we've got to take more chances, we've got to be willing to fail, quite often you have an invi- visible and invisible cultural structures that say, yeah, but... <laughs> It's awesome if somebody else fails, not me per se. You yeah. know, it takes a very active management to say we're going to celebrate people being bold, being ambitious, finding daunting goals, and we're not going to punish people when they fail to meet those daunting goals. Mm. So I, I don't have an easy answer to that. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's hard. Mm. But if you're interested in your organization continuing to grow and be strategically different and have more impact, you've got to gauge your capacity for risk. So if I'm thinking about this more on an individual level then, as opposed to an organization, and and I'm using that criteria of setting a goal that I'm not going to use the SMART acronym and I'm not going to use a GROW goal or whatever, and I'm going to to look at your your measures of thrilling, daunting, and important. What, What sort of strategies can we do to, to see, well, is it thrilling enough or is it perhaps too daunting? What kind of filters yeah, can we yeah. put that through? You know, um, one of the most powerful questions in the coaching habit is what's the real challenge here for you? And part of the power of it is it says um, the first answer is not the only answer. So once you ask that question, you then go, and what else? And then what else? And then so what's the real challenge here for you? And the power of that question and also, and what else? It says, look, your first answer is not your only answer and it's really your best answer. And this is a roundabout way of answering your question, which is to say your first draft of your worthy goal is not your worthy goal. Mm. It's not the best version of it. It's a great start, but really embrace the, <laughs> the writer, which is like your first draft is a crappy first draft. Yep. It's, it's always, it's directionally interesting but it's, it's not there yet. Mm. And I do think that often with goal setting, we, we stop too soon. Yep. And it means that we've got a, a goal that is like a bit half-baked and a bit not quite thought through, not maximized for thrilling, important and daunting, so that it's more easily give up a ball on. Because mm. you're like, ah, you know what, it's not the goal I was looking for. And mm. you move on to something else. So in the book, I talk about three tests that you can apply to the worthy goal the spouse-ish test, the FOSO test, and the Goldilocks zone test. And they each kind of correlate to thrilling, important, and daunting. Spouse-ish test. Either in, in reality or as a thought experiment, you go to your spouse-ish person and you say, what do you think about this? Mm. Now, who's your spouse-ish person? Well, if you're lucky, you've got somebody in your life who just kind of knows you, who gets you, who's heard your jokes a thousand times and still smiles or laughs, who who understands your ambitions, kind of has a sense of you as a complex, mis- messy, interesting, brilliant person. And I call it a spouse-ish person because I'm like, for some of us it's a spouse. It happens to be so in my case. I've been 
just nudging up to 30 years since my first date with my wife. So I'm like, 30 years? <laughs> it's amazing. Mm. Um, and Marcella is that person who knows me. I know she is fully on board to supporting me. She's also uh, no holds barred <laughs> giving me feedback about the stuff that doesn't work. But not everybody has a spouse and not everybody's spouse is that person. So whoever that person is for you, go and ask them, like, what do you think of this? And um, they're either going to say, yes, brilliant, love it, that's mm. perfect. They might say, yes, and stop going on about it because you've been yakking at me for five years about this. It's time for you to act on it. Or they might say, you shouldn't do this. This is a terrible idea. I think the important thing to remember with this test is that it, it's not the truth. They're just giving you feedback. It's mm. just data. So um, uh, using that, it's just a gauge for you to go, what does this person who knows me well think about it in terms of how thrilling it might be for, for mm. me? Yeah. The, the FOSO test, sta FOSO stands for for the sake of. So in some ways you're applying the the – the, the five whys as a test for this. Which is like, so why, would you, why are you mm. doing this? How does this actually contribute to the bigger game? Mm. For the sake of what would you be dedicating time and effort and energy and emotional resource and um, relationship equity to trying to move this forward? And then the final test, the Goldilocks zone. You know, the Goldilocks zone in astronomy is when you can find a planet that's not too close to a sun, mm. that all the water burns off and not too far away from the sun that everything freezes, but it's in the place where water is liquid. Mm. And um, this is the question around daunting, which is like, does it have the right heft? Mm. And one of the ways to kind of measure that and to think about that is, does this um, worthy goal, do I know how to start it, but don't really know how to finish it? And if you've got something like that, you're probably close to the, the dauntingness of mm. it all. And I suggest those three tests as a way of kind of poking at that first draft, whatever that first draft is. And there's this kind of paradox here, which is like your first draft is a bit crappy. Mm. It's meant to be. It's also the perfect place to start, but just don't stop. Mm. Apply these tests and then see how you might move forward with that. Yeah. And so when you craft and you do multiple drafts of it, and I, and I, I won't ask you to share the way you take it through with your examples, but yeah. I'm thinking particularly around the one around your um, stepping back from box of crayons. Yeah. There is a significant and really powerful difference between your first crappy draft yeah. and the final one that you articulate. What I'm interested in is what happens when you, are, you do all the steps and you articulate it, and then you go... I've stuffed this kind of thing up before. <laughs> right. You, you know, how do we how do we get past past failures yeah. when we find ourselves something that is truly thrilling, truly daunting, and truly yeah. important? Well, uh, the odds are good that you have stuffed something up like mm. this before. You know, it's it's often a thrilling goal is some uh, a worthy goal is some variation on something you've tried before, or or it's a a close cousin to mm. something like that. And if, if you're normal, you've got a graveyard of <laughs> abandoned goals, failed goals, half-assed goals, things you put away in a drawer and didn't quite make progress on. So I think it's worth just acknowledging that and saying this is true. And it's probably interesting and useful that I'm coming back to it because it means something to me. Mm. I'm willing to give this another crack. Mm. Um you know, it's, it's one of the 
one of the things that you always talk, you always hear when successful people are interviewed, they're like, "You you see my successes, you don't see my my skeletons, yeah. failures, disasters." So I've kind of kept those under wraps a little bit, but mm. it's all part of the mix. Mm. And I think the other thing to say is, you may stuff this one up as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no guarantee of success here. I mean, you're literally picking picking something that makes you go a little sweaty. Mm. <laughs> but it's, it's daunting. You don't know how to do this. Mm. Um, you're not even sure that this is going to be the final goal because often these goals kind of emerge and change a little bit as you begin the journey. It's one of the, it's one of the quirks of the human brain is that uh, if we spend too much time visualizing the success of an outcome of a goal, our brain, which is not that good at telling what's real and what's made up, basically goes, you're seeing this so clearly, you've kind of done it. This is brilliant, well done, you just relax at this stage. So one of the key insights around working on a worthy goal is you're committing to a process. You're like, this is worth working on. And how do I start the journey? Knowing that the journey may not even succeed, mm. see how it goes. So the pursuit of the goal needs to be perhaps even more exciting than the accomplishment of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. I'm just trying to find the language I would use. It's like the pursuit of the goal has to be worthwhile mm. and has to be rewarding in and of itself. That's that's why you want to have the thrilling part mm. of it, which is like, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm up for trying to do this. Like mm. me writing a book. You know, I'm like, it's like, it's daunting and it's important and it's thrilling and it may not even work as a book. I've had books I've tried to write and I'm like, this is a terrible book, <laughs> I'm abandoning it. But it was worth it because it, it often becomes the, the manure, the compost that mm. kind of fertilizes the next, the next thing around. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, if we just go back to our, what it seems like mutual dis dislike or distrust of more commonplace goal setting methods yeah. is a lot of the time the pursuit isn't that interesting the goal yeah oh yeah if i get this well i get a promotion but the actual pursuit of it seems to be missing a lot it's, it's more like a yeah a dirge yeah and it's it's I, I think one of the things that it's probably not that clear in the book and is probably worth playing around with now as i'm still trying to figure it out is i think it's i, I think it's really hard to have more than one thrilling important and daunting worthy goal at mm. a time yeah, two at an outside like last year i had two worthy goals yeah. i did one really well i just failed on the other one just too much mm. so there's a there is a level of goal setting which is like you know what i'm my goal is to exercise every day or to do, be fit or something like that which um has its place and it's about a kind of uh, you know it's like it's a james clear atomic habit yeah. sort of thing it's like, how do I build good habits into my life that serve outcomes that I'm, I'm interested in? Yep. But this is more around what's really worth me investing reputation and time and money and risk mm -hmm. because it's like this is the thing that is, is going to, you know, it comes back to where we started, which is this is the thing that unlocks my greatness by taking on the hard things. Mm. So when you, yeah, so if, you, if we're going to unlock the greatness as you alluded to there, having more than one, it's going to be time consuming, it's going to be energetic, yeah. there's going to be setbacks. So I'm, I'm just wanted to pick you up on the thing where you said, you know, you did one really well. And I'm assuming, again, without giving away what's in the book, assuming you're talking about the two that are in the book. Right. So one of them you've done well, the other one you said you failed. Is that a full stop? Um, 
Uh, so in, in the book, I talk about two worthy goals. One is giving up the CEO-ness of Box of Crayons. And that was a kind of a worthy goal over the last three years. Yep. And then the other was about trying to take a podcast and make it successful. And that's definitely one that's ongoing at the moment. Yep. So I would say of the uh, of the worthy goals I had last year, one was the How to Begin book yep. itself, just getting that out into the world. Tick. Well, tick, so this is when I get into my own head around it, but it's like tick in terms of creating a book that I love and I'm really proud of. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? I love this book. It's just, it's It's got the same tautness and uh, clarity and structure to it, I think, that, that the coaching books have as well. So I, I love the book. I love the cover. I love the final chapter, which I got to write about my dad, and my dad got to read it just before he died. So mm. it's just like yeah. brilliant on a number of levels. Yeah. Have I got it yet into the hands of all the people I want to get it into? Not yet, but mm. that's part of the ongoing evolution of this worthy goal, which is like, you know what? I need to figure out ways that are thrilling, important, and daunting for me to market this book. Mm. And then the second one is the the podcast. And honestly, it's, it's a bit parallel to that, which is like, you know what? I have a little podcast called Two Pages with MBS place where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book and then we talk about it. Mm. I really like what this, this podcast has evolved into. We've just launched our 100th episode, so that's something yeah, wow. around longevity and yeah. the like. Do I have 10,000 people listening to every episode? Mm. I'm at least 9,000 people short of that. Yep. <laughs> so again, I'm like, okay. So this gets me so far. But part of the understanding of a worthy goal for me is it's not a singular arc. Mm. It's lots of small journeys where you go, right, this is the thing to work on and get to grips with now. You get to somewhere and you're like, okay, I've done that. What's the next challenge to, to do that? It's a series of cycles that move you towards your, your outcome. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if we can help you with the first one <laughs> and maybe even both of them, actually. Yeah. The book is How to Begin. Start doing something that matters. Start yeah. doing something that matters. And the front cover is cool because the, the book starts on the front cover. Exactly. I love Which, this cover design. Yeah, yeah. that is so smart. <laughs> um, and the podcast, just reminders of the podcast. Yeah, it's called Two Pages with MBS. So the two is a number rather than the word. Yep. Two. Two Pages with MBS. And basically I invite interesting people on. They pick a book that they love that's mm. moved them or shaped them yours? in some way. Nobody's read one of mine yet, and I'm like quite. Dis I'm, 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 I'm delighted <laughs> that they haven't. Yeah, um, and uh, they'll pick two pages, and then they'll read the two pages, and then we'll mm, talk about yeah. why those two pages matter to them. So, um, I wanted to find a, an alternative way into an interview mm. with somebody that would kind of disrupt how they've talked about stuff before, and coming through the doorway of somebody else's work is a really interesting conversation starter. Yeah, and um, for those who would like to just find out more about you and connect with your work, where, where can we stalk you online? <laughs> well, you know, the hub is the website mbs.works, um, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out social media, so I'm not that great at it, but mm. I've got a team helping me with some of that, so on Twitter and Instagram in particular, I'm at MBS underscore works. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes Thank of the you. book, the podcast, the links, the I, socials. I appreciate that. 10,000 listeners a week. That's what we're getting. Uh, that's what exactly. we're aiming for. It's all like, right. it's, it is, um, it's I mean, tough out there. What, I, I know exactly. It's like this pandemic is yeah. like, okay. It's like, 
if I'm not making sourdough bread, I'm yeah, launching a podcast. Exactly. Possibly I'm launching a podcast about making sourdough bread. <laughs> uh, what what would you say, what would you attribute the success to your of your podcast to? Um, apart from your good looks and your, <laughs> your deep, sexy radio voice. I think it's the voice. No, um, um, honestly, a little bit of luck, early mm-hmm. doors, in that um, I think on the first, the second episode, Carol Dweck, Oh, came nice. on because yeah. we were speaking at, a, at the same um, conference and she was gracious enough to uh, have a chat. And then uh, Dan Pink and Sir Ken, the late Sir Ken Robinson, yeah. just by pure, I mean, Dan Pink, a bit like yourself actually, Michael, incredibly um, gracious, just saying, yes, of course I'll come and chat. Yes, Whereas yes. there are some people out there who are going, mm, who are you? Why would I bother? That yeah. kind of jazz. Um, and so, yeah, literally then just kind of snowballing um, on the back of that. And then also, I mean, you know, we have a, this has been going now for a couple of years and, and we have a real tight education community Yeah, um, who, you know, a lot of um, word of mouth there. And then, yeah, it's just, I think it's just, it's it's a bit like, again, going back to James Clear's um, yeah. things in Atomic Habits, it's seeing now the effort, mm. you know, it, it, the first few um first few months even a year yeah. a year and a half it's kind of like okay it's, i'd like a few more i'd like a few and then all of a sudden yeah and then when we start getting people coming oh we heard you on the podcast would you like oh, to come and work nice. with us all that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff that's really exciting but yeah i think a bit of fortune um yeah. bit of um not that i think you need any nudges in getting people on the, <laughs> with your contacts but for for a former pe teacher i was right. a little bit you know okay dan would you like to come on um and um and then yeah bit of luck but a tight community and, and the yeah. listening community here are fantastic. So, yeah. yeah, it's so nice when kind of famous people say yes. Yeah. Like my my lucky break. The first book I wrote was called "Get Unstuck and Get Going on the Stuff That Matters," and you know I was even more obscure than I am now. So I'm like, how do you get to anybody to read a book? Mm. First book I'd ever written. So I was like, you'd get a famous person to blurb the book. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't know any famous people, but I went to my 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 bookshelf which was then arranged alphabetically. And so I picked out the first book, which is by a guy called David Allen. It's yep. called Getting Things Done. It's like a big productivity book from 20 years ago. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I haven't even read this book, but he's, this would be good. Yep. So I looked up David Allen on probably Google didn't exist MySpace. Then. Yeah, my MySpace. Day, exactly. so, <laughs> and there was like a phone number for him. So I'm yep. like, okay, I'll call his team and yep. see if I can get send a copy of the book. So I dialed this number and the phone gets picked up on the first ring and it's like, hello, David Allen here. And I'm like, oh my God, I, don't, I haven't prepared a pitch. I haven't thought this through at all. I've just like, I've got nothing. So I stumbled my way through it and he's like, sure, send the book. And uh, he blurbed it and wrote a really nice yeah. blurb for it. And he kind of, we did a little po- kind of a proto podcast for a little bit. Yeah. And I was just like, what a nice guy to, you know, just go, sure, I'll, I'll help you. I don't know who you are. You have... There's nothing in this for me, yeah. but I'm happy to to offer a hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, and uh, I think it's that. Um, what's the worst could happen? They yeah. that, they either depending on your uh, relationship with with you know, setbacks, either they say no or they don't respond. That's <laughs> literally the worst that could happen. You know. So, uh, just as a, a, a funny story that happened to me today. So somebody wrote and pitched their author to come on my podcast. I was like, oh, that's nice. And he's an interesting guy. He's the ex-marketing head of Nike or something. Mm. So I wrote back going, sure, I'd love to have him on my podcast. This is the podcast and this is how it works. And then she wrote back going, well, thanks for your consideration. We yeah, we decided not to. to <laughs> I'm like, you pitched me. Yeah, that's- it's like... 
Like I can take rejection, but when you ask to be on my podcast and then go, oh, actually, no, thank you. I'm like, God, that's a bit much. It is a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. What, what was what were we talking about? Emotional intelligence before? <laughs> yeah. And it's not even a. It's not even a. Oh, I sh- I'm sorry, I shouldn't have asked. She just wrote back the generic rejection yeah. list of people who. Are, I'm like, that'll uh, do. A little harsh. It is yeah. indeed. Um, thank you so much. For your time, Michael. That's really appreciate yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, it's really nice. And um, yeah, look forward to doing it again sometime, yeah. hopefully. Thanks for coming and hanging out with me in Bondi. Cheers, Michael. Yeah, cheers. As I mentioned in the conversation, all the links to Michael's work and his books can be found in the show notes. And please, if you found that worthwhile, as we always say, there's a fair chance someone you know would find that conversation worthwhile. So please share this as far and as wide as you can in your networks don't forget to subscribe to the podcast leave reviews for the podcast and of course rate it five stars or even six if the platform allows if you'd like to find out more about our work if you'd like to find out how you can work with us then head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page but until our next episode thank you so much for listening take care take it easy